Our scripture reading for this morning is Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family of God. Would you bow with me to pray one more time before we turn our attention to meditating on this word from the scriptures? I'll just be quiet for a moment so each of us in our own hearts can ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, and then I'll say a prayer for us. Our Father in heaven, we just pause right now to acknowledge once again that you are a good God. You are holy. You are merciful. You are just. You are gracious. You are all wise. Lord, so often in life we cannot figure out what's going on or what to do, but you have all wisdom and all understanding. And you are all powerful. We thank you for the privilege we have of calling you, Father, because of what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is here now to be our teacher and our comforter and our helper. Father, we ask right now that your spirit would give us grace. Help me to say everything you want me to say, to speak your truth in a way that is clear and easy to understand. And would you give us all grace to understand, to be attentive, to remember, most of all, to trust and to open our hearts To your work, Lord, we just sung that we want to make space in our souls for you to do your work. So that's our prayer, Lord. Where we are wounded, would you heal us? Where we're discouraged, would you encourage us with the gospel of grace? Lord, if there's places we're living in sin or rebellion, would you call us to repentance this morning? Where our faith is weak, would you strengthen it? We pray all this for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. We're slowing down today to spend a whole sermon on just a few verses, and then next week we'll finish Luke chapter 11. But this metaphor of the lamp is one that Jesus repeatedly emphasizes in his teaching that's worth pausing to think about. Read with me again verse 33. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. If you were here a few months ago, you might be having a little bit of a feeling of deja vu. Because three chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 8, verse 16, we read Jesus say something almost identical. Luke 8, 16, 
says this, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Almost identical words now are repeated in chapter 11, but there are new layers and nuances of meaning. First of all, because there's a new context. Three chapters worth of stuff has happened. Jesus is teaching on new themes here. But second of all, because he's going to then build on this same metaphor and take it in new directions today. But first, he wants us to think about the metaphor. You don't light a lamp and hide it. Now, I took my family camping this past weekend. By the way, as I've told people that, I've discovered that's a polarizing thing. Everybody's like, oh, that sounds amazing, or oh, that sounds absolutely terrible. And I guess it depends on whether you like the presence of fresh air or the absence of insects. Which one cares you care more about? Um, but we had the fresh air and the insects all week, and it was good, refreshing time, fun time. But I was reminded as we were out in eastern Oklahoma near Arkansas and the Washita National Forest, I was reminded what it is like to actually be in a place that is dark. If you live in the city, like Oklahoma City, rarely outside do you experience real darkness, right? In addition to the moon and the stars, we have street lights. If you're in a neighborhood, you might have porch lights. All night long, all year round, there's buildings downtown that are lit up that you can see. So most of the time, if you're in Oklahoma City and you look up, even on a clear night, you're not going to see that many stars. But when you're out in the woods, far away from any city, it's very different. If you look up, you can see the stars. On the other hand, if you look down, you might not see anything. At one point, we had walked... Aiden and I had walked to our little, you know, the, the campground bathroom and we were walking back and I was carrying him so he didn't stub his toes because it was so dark. And he said, um, daddy, we went the wrong way. And I said, no, it's just dark out here. This is the way to our cabin. And I kept walking a little way later. I said, yeah, actually, this is definitely not towards our campsite. <laughs> I turned around, went back this way for a while and eventually found my way to our campsite. But it was dark, 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 dark. And Jesus is, of course, living in a culture a long time before Thomas Edison, no electric lights. Most of the cities that he visits would be like very small towns for us anyway. It's dark. And so if it's winter and it's getting dark early now and you you go inside, you're going to want to light a lamp. It would be an oil lamp. Oil would be a very important uh, uh, commodity. You don't want to run out of oil because you need that light. In the evening, it may be hours before it's time for you to go to bed, and you need to do some stuff, right? Sometimes after dark, you still have chores. You need to cook food. You need to clean up around the house. Maybe it's time to sit around, and you want to see the faces of your loved ones. It's time to sing songs and tell stories. So if you light the lamp, you don't hide it. You don't put it under a bushel. You put it on a stand so it can light up everything in the house. That's the simple metaphor. Now, as we think about the spiritual lesson here... The first question we need to ask is, what does the lamp represent in this text? Again, you may have deja vu if you were here a few months ago, because we asked that same question. Jesus uses the metaphor of light shining in the darkness several different times, and he means different things in different contexts. So let's just remind you, in John chapter 8, verse 12, we read, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here he's saying, he's the light. Come to him. Trust in him. Everybody say, Jesus is the light. 
And in Matthew 5.14, though, we read this. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Here he's talking about the fact that when we trust in Jesus, we believe his gospel. We have his Holy Spirit. Now he calls us to be people who are sharing the good news of Christ and doing good works in our community, actively shining light out into the community. So here it's a missional application. Get busy sharing God's love in the community. Both of those are important lessons. Here's what I think, though. I think that that Matthew 514 passage has come to occupy a very prominent place in many of our minds so that when we read a text like Luke 33, no one after lighting a lamp put in its put in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. We, we tend to, in our mind, immediately start thinking that means we've got to go get out in our community and shine the light everywhere. And we should because Matthew 5.14. But I want to suggest to you, once again, that's not what this verse is about. That's not what this verse is about. What is the lamp here? What is the lamp? Well, I think the context gives us the clue. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Luke chapter 11. And I just want you to remember what we've been studying the last few weeks. I'm going to walk through this context briefly to summarize and remind us. But here's what I would suggest. The lamp here is Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. It's the work of Jesus. And it's especially in this context, the teaching of Jesus, the words of Jesus. And as we'll read here, as in chapter eight. He's especially concerned with getting us to think about the effect that he as light and his words as light are having inside of each of us. The the lamp is the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and especially the teaching of Jesus. Look, Look back with me. Luke 11, verses 14 through 26. What were those verses all about? They were all about Jesus presenting himself as the warrior king, the warrior of light, who comes to drive out dark spiritual powers. You remember that? There was a man who had a demon, an an evil spirit that made him mute and deaf. And Jesus came and drove that out. The power of his light set this person free. And some of those who saw this miracle, but who did not like Jesus, hardened their hearts and says, It's by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that he drives out demons. And Jesus speaks some very strong words of warning to them. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are dark. So they're resisting God's light as it shines into the world. But in verse 20, he said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come among you. So as we studied that passage, we said over and over, this passage is all about Jesus, the warrior king who comes into an evil world where there's much darkness fighting against the evil to drive out the darkness with the power of his goodness and light. And then we got to verses 27 through 28. And in verses 27 through 28, a woman in the crowd speaks up and she honors Jesus by blessing his mother. But Jesus gently redirects her and says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In other words, if you want to honor Mary, you honor Mary by imitating her faith in the word of God. And he was saying here, the key thing, the important thing is that you trust the word of God 
which in this context is getting associated with Jesus' own words, Jesus' own teaching. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the warrior. The words of Jesus are the words of light and life. Trust the words of Jesus is what he's saying. And then as you continue into verses 29 through 32, people are asking for a sign. And the irony here is that Jesus has done many signs. He just did a sign by casting out demons, but he's done many signs. Miracles of healing, miracles of demonic deliverance. And of course, throughout his ministry, he feeds hungry people miraculously. He raises the dead miraculously. He does many signs, but they keep asking for more signs. And so Jesus took the opportunity to expose some problems that were going on in our heart. And if you were here last week, you heard Jared talk about this. Jesus is greater than Jonah and Jesus is greater than Solomon. Well, what did that mean? Jonah was a reluctant prophet of God who spoke the word of God. But Jesus is the word of God. So that every word Jesus speaks is the word of God. He is the great prophet who's greater than all prophets, because as God, every word of Jesus is the word of God. And then the text says Jesus is greater than Solomon. Well, Solomon was the wisest king of Israel, but Jesus is wiser than Solomon. As a matter of fact, Paul says in first Corinthians that Jesus has become for us the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God so that every word he speaks is God's wisdom. He's not only the greatest prophet above all prophets, he's the greatest sage, the greatest wisdom teacher. His words are light. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. And he's putting the emphasis here on his works. He drives out darkness, but especially on his words. He says, hear my word and keep it. I give you a prophetic word, which is greater than what Jonah spoke. I give you a word of wisdom, which is greater than what Solomon spoke. As Jared also pointed out to us last week, both Jonah and Solomon in strange ways, had ministry to Gentiles. They didn't just minister to God's own Jewish people. They also ministered to Gentiles. Jonah preached to Nineveh, a pagan, wicked city, and they repented and received mercy. The queen of Sheba came on a long journey to learn from Solomon. And it's one of the main themes in the Gospel of Luke and its sequel, the book of Acts, that God has always had a purpose to bring light and salvation to all the nations of the earth. Everybody say all nations. It's all about Jesus and it's all about God working through Jesus, through his person, his works and his words to bring light to all nations. And here, Luke is presenting Jesus as the fulfillment and the pinnacle of God's ancient plan. To bring salvation to every ethnic group on the world. He has a special place for the Jews, for Israel. But their place has been to be a light to all nations. So behind those words about Jesus being greater than Jonah and greater than Solomon, we might think about passages like Isaiah chapter 42 in which uh, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about a mysterious figure called the servant of the Lord who is sometimes associated with Isaiah himself and sometimes with the nation of Israel. But then the New Testament teaches us that 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 figure is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And listen to what verses six and seven say of Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. 
I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Now, we took that time to do that little review because I'm trying to make the point here that then when we get to verse 31, excuse me, verse 33 and read this, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is continuing the same line of thought. Jesus is the light who came to drive out the darkness. The words of Jesus are what give us life and blessing. Jesus is a prophet greater than Jonah. Jesus is a sage greater than Solomon. He came to bring light to all nations in fulfillment of what the ancient prophets foretold. Now, this leads us to verses 34 through 35. The point of verse 33 is you don't hide a lamp. Lamps are for shining. And now God is shining into the world in a very public way through Jesus. What Jesus is doing, he is not doing in a corner. What Jesus is doing is not hidden. This is not some secret esoteric wisdom. Jesus is literally walking around in public places, healing people and casting out demons and declaring that the kingdom of God has come among them. Which is to say this, church, I I want you to hear this. God is not playing hide and seek with us. God is not playing hide and seek with us. Sometimes many of us have probably had the thought, God, if you're real, where are you? Why didn't you show yourself to us? And here's the scripture saying, I literally came among you and did a bunch of miracles and said, I'm God, believe in me. He's saying, I have come and I have very publicly done a lot of signs and taught you with great wisdom so that you can know the truth about God. And then we get to verse 34. 33 is about the public shining of God's light into the world in the person and work and words of Jesus. Then the next verses are about this. Light in the world can only illuminate you if your eyes are healthy. That's what it's about. Look again at verses 34 and 35. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Okay, the metaphor here is a little weird, could be a little confusing. What does it mean to say the eye is the lamp of the body? If you go read a bunch of biblical commentaries, they will explain how ancient people thought about how sight worked. And if you read five of those commentaries, you'll probably be more confused after you're done than when you started. So I'll just say, without the history of science lesson, I think the point Jesus is making here is relatively clear, and it makes just as much sense with our better understanding of science as it did for those ancient hearers. Here's the point. If I am blind... Or if my eyes are closed, I can walk around on a sunny day, but my mind will not see anything. It's dark in here. My inner world will still be dark. 
Moreover, if my eyes are healthy, but I'm in pitch darkness, I won't see anything. In this case, the eyes are working properly, but there is no light. So in order for my brain to have images in it that correspond to reality out there, there's actually two things that need to happen. First, I need light outside of me shining on the stuff around me. And second, I need healthy eyes that are able to perceive that light. What does it mean that the eye is the lamp of the body? Well, it means simply this. If your eye isn't there to receive that light and shine it into your mind, into your soul, into your own thoughts, then all the external light doesn't do you any good. You trying with me, church? I think that was about a 50% head nod. All right, if you want it, let's try it. Let's just make this even simpler. If you want to see anything, you need light outside. Everybody say light outside. And you need healthy eyes. So here's the point. If you have healthy eyes, but there's no light, can you see anything? If there's light, but there's no healthy eyes, can you see anything? You need both. Okay, you got it. Just nod your head now so I feel better if you didn't. What is the spiritual point being made here? The spiritual point is this. Jesus is God's light. The teaching of Jesus is God's light shining into the world. If my spiritual eyes are open and functioning properly, the light of Jesus will shine into me and change me from the inside out. But if I am spiritually blind, then the external objective reality that Jesus is light is still true, but it won't change me. It is true, regardless of how I respond, that God has shown light into the world in the person of Jesus through his words and through his work. But the effect that that has on me is contingent upon my response. Now, what what does that mean practically? Let's, let's think about it, first of all, for the original hearers, those who were standing around listening when Jesus first said these words. These words would have been a warning to people like the scribes and the Pharisees who were deeply devout religious leaders who studied the scriptures, they studied the law, they tried really hard to keep the law, they tended to be pretty self-righteous, and they tend to be very critical of Jesus because he does not fit into their understanding of the law of God. And they're jealous of him, and they're angry at him, and so even though they are the people of God who have been praying for the Savior to come, now the Savior has come and walked amongst them and they're getting more and more angry at him and rejecting him and saying, all the stuff you're doing, you're doing by the power of Satan. To those people, this is a strong warning. The light is shining, but there's something wrong with your eyes. On the other hand, to the disciples of Jesus, that ragtag gang of Fishermen, a zealot who wanted to start a political revolution to overthrow Rome, a tax collector who worked for Rome, various other men and women who have been following Jesus around. Luke has emphasized women like Mary Magdalene, who had demons cast out of her. She was in a dark place before she met Jesus. This, this group of disciples, They're having a very different experience. There's something that's been stirred in their spirit. 
They're thinking, God is at work. And Jesus is saying, the reason you're thinking that is because your eyes are open. Your eyes are healthy. And if you keep letting me shine into you, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to change everything inside of you. Now, if we transpose this from its original context to ours, what does this mean? Well, two people can open the Bible and read. One person reads from the scriptures and is moved to worship and repentance and faith and joyful obedience. And the other says, I don't get anything out of it. It's not working for me. What's the difference? The light of Jesus was shining in both places. The difference was the perceiver. Now, we could say this even further. The same person on two different days could have those experiences. Can we be honest, church? Are there days where you pick up the Bible and you read and you're just like, I'm not getting anything. And there's days where you pick it up. Have you ever picked it up and God brought truth in a way that brought deep change in your soul? You ever had that happen, church? It was the same light both days. The difference was me. The difference was you. Two people can sit in a pew and hear the same sermons, Christ-exalting sermons, over and over, year after year after year. One can be transformed and the other one could just be bored. It's possible to be both. You could be... Bored by the speaker, but transformed by God's grace. I'll, I'll allow that possibility. But what's the difference? One person has spiritual eyes that are open and healthy and thus capable of seeing Jesus. The other person has spiritual eyes that are closed or sick or blind. What does that mean? What's the spiritual eyes? I think we have to understand it. The, the, the organ of per spiritual perception, of course, is not my literal eyeball. It's my heart. It's talking about my soul. It's talking about the condition of my inner person. The word the Bible uses for that most frequently is my heart. Healthy spiritual eyes would mean something like a humble heart that gazes on Jesus with deep trust in his love. A humble heart that knows its own sin, that knows its need for a savior and looks at Jesus and says, I'm I'm helpless without you, but I trust you. You are good. Have mercy on me. This humility and trust means a, a posture, a heart posture that's ready to surrender to his will. Whatever you want, that's what I want, Jesus, because you're wise and you're loving and you're good. That's a healthy heart. That's eyes that are open to see. I think what Jesus is saying here is very similar to what he says in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does that mean? Well, Soren Kierkegaard, the fiery philosopher, wrote a book. You don't have to read the whole book. I'm just telling you the title. And the, the title of the book was Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. You desire one thing. You're focused on one thing. By the way, the word translated healthy here more literally means single or simple. The the healthy eye is about a heart that wills one thing. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to trust you, Jesus. I want to be transformed by you, Jesus. I want to be forgiven by you, Jesus. 
I want to be healed by you, Jesus. I want to be close to you, Jesus. Whatever you want, God, is what I want. We could bring this home to say that in order to experience all the blessing God wants to do in our life, we need grace in two ways. Not one way, but two ways. First, we need grace in the sense that we need Jesus to come near to us as the light of God's truth and love. We need Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We need Jesus to rise again from the dead. And we need the words of Jesus to come to us in the forms of the scripture. We need that objective, external work of grace. And praise God, he already did it. Don't you want to praise God, church family? He did it. Light came into the world. Jesus, the Son of God, came teaching us God's ways. Died on the cross for our sins. Rose again. But we also need grace in a second way. We need the Holy Spirit to do an internal work inside of each of us. Change my heart. Or, in keeping with today's metaphor, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Perhaps there are some in this room that, as you're listening, you're just aware of the fact that you've been around the gospel, the name of Jesus, the scriptures for a long time, and there's not any interchange happening. And I want to encourage slash challenge you right now in love. Here's the encouragement. God loves you and there's nothing wrong with the light. But we all need to admit by ourselves, there's something wrong with our eyes. And the challenge would be right now where you are in your own heart. Pray this prayer. God, open my eyes to see Jesus. God, heal my eyes so that I could sin. But what does healing mean? It really means the grace of repentance. I'd encourage you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey right now, just say, God, I confess my pride. I figure that one's safe. We're all guilty of that one. All right. Or if, if you're not, I'm guilty enough for all of us. So just confess my pride. OK. God, my pride gets in the way. I want to do it myself. I want to fix it myself. I want to save myself. But I can't save myself. I need a savior. I repent of my pride. Heal my heart. Heal my eyes. Confess my rebellion. What, why were these Pharisees and scribes missing it? It was really just pride and rebellion. They wanted Jesus to fit into their terms. Instead of being willing to surrender their terms to the terms of Jesus. A lot of us have one thing that's a pet sin that we don't want to let go of. We struggle to be honest about it. In his great book, The Confession, St. Augustine is honest that his own spiritual journey to salvation had two stages. First, he had to be convinced that Christianity was true. That took him a long time. But through the prayers of his mother and the ministry of a great preacher, Ambrose of Milan, he became convinced Christianity was still true. But the light had shown, but he still had a problem with his eyes, with his heart. And he's very honest in that book. He said, basically... I still wanted to be really famous and everybody to admire me and to have sex with whoever I wanted to. That's kind of like real talk, isn't it, church? 
And it wasn't until some friends of his heard a story about a very holy man who was transformed by God's grace that he was cut to the heart. And he went outside and heard the voice of a little girl singing Take and Read. And he opened up a copy of Paul's letters that he had right there and read, Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Close yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you know what? Sex and fame aren't worth it and they could never satisfy my soul. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Perhaps some of us, the prayer needs to be right now. Spirit, show me. Are there things that I'm holding on to that are hindering me from being able to be totally open to Jesus? Open my eyes. Give me healthy eyes. Every time you come to church, every time you come to the scriptures... You're coming to something very holy. We don't want to harden ourselves by spending time casually on the outside of holy things. So when we come to the church, when we come to the scriptures, we want to come praying, Holy Spirit, open my heart, open my eyes. Because it would be a tragedy to spend our whole lives bathing in the light, but with a proud and rebellious heart so that the inside of us remains dark. That's what Jesus is saying. Now. As I'm saying all these things, I'm aware that there's a lot of people in the room and we're all in different places in our spiritual journey. And so two things that are probably happening in the room, in fact, I'd be willing to bet all my lunch money on it, is that some of us are experiencing real spiritual conviction right now that comes from the Holy Spirit. And some of us are experiencing a false sense of condemnation, which does not come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the devil. So I feel compelled to remind us every few weeks there's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of the devil. We want to learn how to distinguish between those two. The Holy Spirit brings conviction as an invitation in. Come to me, I love you. Come to me, come to me, I love you. The, the devil brings condemnation in a way that leads to despair. See, you're too much of a mess up. You're too much of a screw up. God doesn't love you. There's no hope for somebody like you. So if there's a, a voice in your head saying something like, you're too messed up. God doesn't love you. There's no hope for someone like you. That did not come from the Lord, church. That came from the devil. If there's a voice in your head saying, come closer to me, that's the one you want to listen to. That's what you want to listen to. Some people in the room, though, you're experiencing honest conviction because here's the reality. You know it. You know it. And God knows it. That for a long time, you've been trying to straddle a certain fence and have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And here's the thing. It doesn't work. It's being double minded. It's not the singleness of vision that Jesus is talking about. And eventually circumstances are going to hit where you're going to have to choose. But it would be much better to just choose now. To let go of the sin and say, Jesus, I want to go all in with you. Jesus has made it clear that ultimately you actually are all in with him or with the devil. He said that in our text two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So go all in. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, do not hold back. Let today be the day of total surrender. But there's some of you here that I know that the reality is you are, in fact, not living in hard, hard rebellion. You're, in fact, seeking God every day, but you're struggling emotionally. Hey, friends, can a faithful Christian have deep emotional struggles? Can we just be honest about it right here? Can we also have ongoing battles with indwelling sin that we want to fight against, but we're struggling By the way, if you're fighting against sin, that's not a sign that you're really lost because lost people don't fight against sin. Only Christians fight against sin. Okay, so if you're battling sin and feeling discouraged so that sometimes 
you pick up the Bible or you come to church and, and you're just not feeling good, then the devil might want to be telling you your eyes are bad, you're lost. And for you, I just want to say to you, the light of God's transforming work in your heart may not be, it may not look like what you think it looks like. Maybe you're looking for some kind of feeling. I need to feel close to God, but God is after something much deeper. Namely, he wants you to learn to live by faith in his word. So for you, the way to hear this verse isn't going to mean. I've got to beat myself up a little more. Confess the same sins five more times just to make sure it's all covered so that maybe God will accept me. For you, the lesson means Look less at yourself and look at the light. Look at the lamp. Who is the lamp, church? Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. The problem with preaching to more than one person is that you're all in different spiritual places. So just come to us if you want to sort it out later, okay? Come to one of the pastors. Come to a friend and talk about discerning what's going on in your heart. But for all of us, the word here, the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus is the light. He's love, he's salvation, he's forgiveness, he's truth, and the Holy Spirit longs to open the eyes of your heart to know Jesus. He never turns away anybody who really wants that. As a matter of fact, remember this promise of Jesus from earlier in chapter 11. To the one who seeks, he will find. If you're seeking Jesus today, he promises if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. And as a matter of fact... He says that he came to seek and to save the lost, which means if you're seeking him, it's because he already found you and you are going to find him. Okay, last thought before we wrap up. The light is for public shining. The light is Jesus. Light in the world can only illuminate you if your eye is healthy. And now in verse 36, we add to it this. If your spiritual eyes are healthy, you will become holy Light bright. You will become wholly bright. You will become a light who shines God's light into the world. Look again at verse 36. This is a very beautiful promise for Christians on which to end today. And for would be Christians who are seeking God. Jesus says, if then your whole body is full of light. Having no part dark. It will be wholly bright, completely bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. What does that mean? The person of Jesus is light. The works of Jesus are light. His death and resurrection is light. His words are light. If we reject Jesus... Then Jesus will keep shining, but we'll be dark on the inside. But now here's the promise. If we gaze at Jesus in faith, there's a promise here about your sanctification and your glorification. That for the person who keeps their eyes fixed on Jesus, who keeps trusting Jesus, who keeps looking to him, even when it's hard, even when you feel discouraged, Even when he's doing deep work that you can't see, so it feels like you're getting nothing out of it, but really he's doing something inside of you. For that person, the promise here is the light is going to keep working in you until you become light with no mixture of darkness in you. The the promise here is so good. Listen, church, let me just ask you like this. Is anybody tired of sinning? 
Is anybody tired of battling sin? It's so exhausting. I mean, the world can be very discouraging, but in, in my Christian life, I found the most discouraging thing is my own sin. My own battle with indwelling sin. I'm just ready to be done with it, to be perfect faith, perfect hope, perfect love, and I personally have a long way to go. But the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus didn't just die so your sins can be forgiven and then so you can wallow in your folly and misery for the rest of your life. He died so your sins can be forgiven and you can have a relationship with God that actually changes you from the inside out. And sometimes I get discouraged about how messed up I still am, but then I think about how messed up I was 10 years ago and I'm like, okay, we've got to give God some credit. Amen, church? If you think how messed up you are today, just imagine yourself 10 years ago. And the process of sanctifying grace that's at work in the life of every believer is going to continue until there's more and more light in us. And that light shines through us. This is where there's a a missional part, I think, by the end of it. You will become wholly bright. That's the bridge between Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world and you are the light of the world. You will become wholly bright. You will come to experience God's healing love, his healing grace in a deep way that over time sets you free. And then you'll become the kind of person he can use to bring healing in the world. What are you called to do here? What you're called to do is just very simple. Keep looking at Jesus. Isn't that simple? Keep looking at Jesus. It's much like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 at the end of the chapter. When he's describing the process of spiritual transformation God wants to do in our lives. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He's saying, here's how spiritual growth works. You just look at Jesus every day for the rest of your life, and the Holy Spirit will change you to make you more like Jesus. Isn't that nice and simple, church? Just look at Jesus. And then you ask, where do I find him? Where do I see him? Well, he reveals himself to us in many ways, especially through the scriptures. That's why we read the Bible. It's not because every time I read the Bible, I get another spiritual merit badge. It's because in the Bible, the light of Jesus is shining bright. And if I come with faith in Jesus, I can trust that it's working in me, even if I don't feel it. By the way, I'm glad we just sung that song a second ago. Even, y'all finish this line, even if I don't feel it, you're what? You're working. Jesus shines light through the Bible. Jesus shines light through our experience of prayer. Through the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, through the communion of saints, and through ministering to others. Have you ever had the experience of going to minister to somebody else and when you got there you found Jesus wanted to give something to you? A few minutes before we got started I was talking to Dr. Sanchez, Paul Sanchez, about uh, privilege both of I have had to teach a class in the Lexington prison, different, different classes, but we both taught in that program as part of the prison divinity program uh, that OBU has in that prison where men, many of whom have very long Um, sentences, several of them have life sentences and have committed some very serious crimes, but they've come to know Jesus and now they're getting training from ministry and God is doing a tremendous work. He shines light in dark places. 
So these guys, since January, have in that prison, the guys that are in the program, have led, led over 200 men to Christ since January in the prison. Sure, we, yeah, let's praise God for that. And, and God is doing something deep and transformative in them. And, and many of them have shared with me very vulnerable things about their own testimonies and when they trusted Jesus and being delivered from demons and all kinds of powerful things that have happened in their lives. But what, the reason I'm mentioning that right now is just to tell you the story, my own life, how I got involved in that. I'm not sure how you got involved, Paul. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. But here's what happened in my life. Over the course of two years, I kept reading in the scriptures about God setting the prisoners free, about God shining light to those who are in prison. About Jesus saying, when you visit the prisoner, you visit me. And I kept thinking, I feel like God is calling me into that correction system in some way. But I didn't know how to do it. And so I prayed this prayer. I was thinking of Matthew 23 where he said, when I was in prison, you visited me. You remember the text? And the people responded, when did we do that? And he says, whenever you visited the least of these, my brothers, you visited me. And I prayed, Jesus, I want to visit you in prison. I want to be close to you. I don't know how you want me to do that, but will you invite me to visit you in prison? And then after I prayed that prayer, Dr. Bruce Perkins emailed me and said, hey, we started this divinity program in prison. Would you come and speak and would you come and teach? So I told the, the guys in the class last Tuesday, hopefully when I come out here every Tuesday and speak to you, God can use it to encourage you. But I think the main reason I'm here is because God knew I needed encouragement and the light of Christ in you shines into me every Tuesday. Sometimes the way that we get the light is by going and serving others. All right, I'm done, church. I want to invite you to stand. Before we respond to the word of God through singing, I want to take a moment to pray. We need the light of Jesus in our hearts. We need it in our hearts. So I want to invite you to do as we do sometimes, which is just put your hands in a posture of receiving Bow your heads and take a moment to talk to God in response to his word. And I'm going to give you a couple of prompts. Where you are, I would just invite you to pray, shine in me, Lord Jesus. Shine in me, Lord Jesus. I want to invite you to pray, Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see Jesus. I want to invite you to pray, Holy Spirit, show me if there's any sin in me, anything I'm holding on to or any lie I'm believing that's hindering me from having clear eyes to see Jesus. If he's bringing something to mind, this is a good time just to confess that to God. To tell him that you want to see and know and love Jesus more than you want whatever that thing is. And to ask him to help you turn from it.
Here's a few more prompts as you talk to God. Replace my anger with your love. Replace my bitterness with your forgiveness. Replace my pride with the humility of Jesus. Replace my lust with integrity. Replace my self-indulgence with self-control. Overcome the voice of condemnation in my head by the power of your gospel. Help me to fix my eyes on Jesus alone. Jesus, I want to be as close to you as possible, now and forever. Now, Father, I pray for this congregation as as we have each individually sought you in prayer. We as a whole now want to say that you are good and you're faithful. Jesus, we worship you. You are the light of the world. So that whoever comes to you walks not in darkness, but in the light of life. I pray that the good work you've been doing in our hearts this morning, you would continue. Lord, for anyone in this room who needs to take the first step to follow Jesus, I pray that today would be the day. Turning from sin to recommit or to commit for the first time to follow Jesus. Lord, for those who have been on the journey for some time, I pray that this would be a, a day of renewed vision and of renewed joy in the gospel. As we fix our eyes on you to sing and worship you now, we just pray that even in our song, you would be healing our vision so that we can see you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.